Welcome to the Proper Mental Podcast. Normalising open and honest conversations about mental health by having open and honest conversations about mental health. Mental podcast. Before we get into it this week, I need to just give you a quick heads up that this episode comes with a content warning, more specifically a strong language warning. There are a lot of rude words used in this episode. I like to think it's not too much of a problem because this podcast talks about things like being sectioned under the Mental Health Act and suicide and grief and psychosis and loads of challenging topics. And we do that week in, week out, right? But if strong language isn't your thing, probably best give this one a miss. I'll see you next week. But if you're up for it, strap yourself in. This is episode 159 with the sometimes comedy songwriter turned major irritant, Cunt from Cunt and the Gang. And Mr. K has been making music under this moniker for a long time, but he might well have come to your attention at Christmas 2020 when his other band, The Cunts, had an unexpected top five hit single with their protest song, Boris Johnson is a fucking cunt. Since then, they have had top 20 hits with Boris Johnson is still a fucking cunt, fuck the Tories and scrap the monarchy. And they have done all this despite having no record company, no management, no PR company and no financial backing. You see, I told you there was a strong language warning, right? Anyway, in this episode, I chat to Mr. K about his extensive career on the cold outer fringes of show business and the mental impact of trying to live a creative lifestyle and go against the grain. We talk about things like being skint and rejection and politics and how these things impact our mental health. We talk about the importance of creativity the importance of community and the importance of protest. We also chat about why he's not doing a Christmas single this year and why he's chosen to support a mystery Banksy-style musical outfit called The Crackpots. They're releasing a single called Proper Christmas under very mysterious circumstances. That's out on the 8th of December. It's a lovely song. It's not a rude one. It's actually much more of a classic-style Christmas track, very similar to the hits of the 70s and 80s, like Slade and Madness and that sort of stuff. And the video is really cute. It's really lovely. But no one knows who The Crackpots are, and we're going to chat about that in this episode. This is a much lovelier and profound conversation than you'll be expecting and it was an absolute pleasure to sit down with Mr K for an hour. I love what he's done to the charts over the last few years. It's been so much fun watching him try and get these songs into the charts and take on all the big hitters and try and disrupt and just do something different. I'll always cheer for the independent artists, for the underdogs, for people who are just trying to shake things up. I just think that's important, particularly at Christmas. And you can get and you can get all the info about the crackpots, about proper Christmas all at www.properchristmas.info. Please buy it, stream it, share it, all of that stuff. Let's see if we can help Mr. K shake up the charts, shake up Christmas and get this lovely song and get him another Christmas hit single. If you like what you hear and you think, I'd love to watch this conversation, well, you can. It's up now on Patreon and you could sign up to join the Patreon community. It's only £5 a month and you get all the videos for the recordings. There's about 20 up there at the moment that aren't available anywhere else. As soon as I record them, they go straight up and I try and keep everyone posted 
posted on what's going on behind the scenes, who's coming up, what conversations I've been having, who stood me up and all that sort of stuff. It also helps to keep the show going. It keeps it independent, ad-free, and just helps me to cover all the costs of just having a podcast and keeping it going. There's a link to sign up in the episode notes if you want to get involved. We actually talk in this episode how cringy both Mr. K and I find that sort of stuff. That whole sort of link in bio, it doesn't sit right with me at all. I'm not very good at it, but we've got to make the world go round, right? Anyway... This is episode 159 of the Proper Mental Podcast. We've come from Cunt and the Gang and definitely not the Crackbox. Thank you very much for listening. Enjoy! So here we are with another episode of the Proper Mental Podcast, and I'm joined this week by Cunt from Cunt and the Gang. How are you, mate? Yeah, I'm all right. You all right? Yeah, I'm all right, mate. Yeah, I'm all right. It's lovely to uh, lovely to meet you, mate. Yeah, it's yeah, likewise. Have... Yeah, thanks, man. Um, I've been listening to your book this week. Um, I've been listening to the audio book, and I've really oh, enjoyed right. it, mate. Yeah, it's given me a real sort of uh, insight into... Um, you know, the life and times of, of your good self and everything that's happened uh, along the way. But it's there was like a big chunk of the book that's really given me um, quite a lot of like nostalgia. It's made me kind of like think of a part of my own life that I think is a really important time of life for blokes that doesn't get talked enough, right? Yeah. And it's that kind of time when you're not a kid anymore, but you're not a grown up yet. And you've got like a shitty job, but you haven't been doing jobs yet to have the drudgery and the, you know, the mind numbingness of having a shitty job forever. Yeah. And you've got this like this little f- few years where it's just like all your income's disposable and all you have to do is just hang out with your mates and talk shit because there's nothing else to do. Yeah. And I think when you're in that space, it comes, you don't realize like how good it is. And hearing you chat a lot of stories from that time really got me thinking about my, uh, my own life, but that's quite an important quite a fun time for being a you don't realize don't you that it doesn't last forever when you're in it yeah no i i think um we i mean that's that's one of the bits that i look back most and you know really really fondly on uh when we were all just hanging out and going to clubs and just spending all our money on records and uh, and going to see bands you know it's just fantastic times and I, I think me and my group of mates where we kind of weren't sort of mainstreamy people and we all sort of gravitated together um, we didn't all have exactly the same music taste or, or, or interests, but we just sort of gravitate, gravitate together because we didn't really fit in anywhere. But once we all sort of found each other, we tried to drag that bit out, you know, as long as we possibly could. And we did pretty well. You know, we, we had a good few years of it before, yeah. everyone, you know, before everyone started getting married and getting proper jobs and stuff. That's it, doesn't it? It just kind of like drift, drifts away. But yeah, it really made me think about, you know, like it's so many evenings in a row, like, you know, 10 of you squeezed into someone's box room because their mum had let you smoke inside and, you yeah. know, just kind of all just like sat there, just chatting, uh, well, chatting me, nonsense. Uh, you, you know, Stu, my, um, my, my, uh, oldest mate, uh, both of us had full escort estates. Um, so we would just cram as many of our mates as we could into the escort estates and go, go, to, uh, you know, just go up to London, uh, you know, and go, to, go and see bands or there was a club we used to kind of go to just off Trafalgar Square and often, if if we have one car load, which would be seven or less, um, we'd we'd go up in one car. And sometimes we had two car loads, you know. And there'd be people in the boot, and uh, yeah, it was a really really good times. 
Yeah, it's a lot. It's a really um, creative time, I think. But that's partly to do with the boredom. And I think part of the problem as you get older is you don't, you're not, you don't, you're not able to get bored because there's too much shit to do. But round about the time when you're just kind of like sitting off, it's also really that's really good for creativity, isn't it? When you're kind of just doing nothing with your mates. I think so. Yeah, I, I think um, I, I always had a bit of a balance between. I like I like my own company, and I always have done because you know that's where that's when I kind of go into a creative space, you know, and and have ideas and yeah, you know, and and work on songs, and then you'd have that kind of you know if you've been doing that all day or you know or for t- for two days straight, you know, because uh, I, I I used to have my keyboard set up in my bedroom, so you know there was no real distinction between day and night for a while where you'd just kind of, you, you'd get out of bed, get a bowl of cornflakes and just your, your computer would still be on from, from sort of working and you'd just work on it through till it went dark or light again, you know? Um, yeah. And then, you know, the sort of release from that was everyone going, right, come on, where are we going? Um, <laughs> you know, and then, and then you might have kind of three or four nights on the bounce where we'd just go out or, you know, go and see a band and um, where uh we'd all just jump in the car and we'd drive to all kinds of places, you know, sort of Windsor and Oxford just to see bands, you know, if someone was on. Yeah. They, I, they, they would like good times of just piling in the car and going somewhere. Yeah. I remember in about like 2000 going to see Oasis at Wembley and there was a bunch of my mates who couldn't get tickets. So they drove down, we all went down on a coach and they followed the coach down <laughs> and hung around outside Wembley, the old Wembley, hung yeah. around outside the stadium. And then when it finished, got off and drove back home and I just listened to it from the car park. And it's like, that at the time we are like, what are they doing that for? And now I look back and I think that's fucking magic, man. Like imagine yeah. having the, the freedom and the inclination just to do to do something like that but I think like when we talk about like men's mental health and because you know both of us sitting here now we're in that age bracket right where men's mental health is a big deal and suicide is the biggest killer in 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 men there's some awful statistics and I kind of got a bit of a a theory that a lot of that is down to as we get older and we move out of that space and you lose touch with your your mates and you lose those creative pursuits and it's like it becomes quite hard to like hang on to doing the stuff that makes you feel like you it's almost like an identity shift isn't it as you kind yeah. of drift away from those times I, I i guess it comes down to you know um it's a, it's a sort of change of priorities isn't it and and society sort of change your pro- changes your priorities and yeah, I've, I've got to be honest. I've spent I've spent the last week stood on a chair with little hand puppets, you know, <laughs> uh, uh, making this video. And at a time, you know, at times I've kind of thought, "Fucking hell, am I doing?" I'm 51 years old, and here I am, stood up on a chair with a paper moth that I've cut out of a brown envelope on on a little bit of cotton, pretending to fly it out of a wallet. Uh, but it's those it's those things I think that just keep keep me going because. You know, there's lots of life that's really, really fucking shit. And you've got to find, you know, you, you've got to stay silly, I think. Um, you know, just keep those, keep that bit of daftness in between all the kind of everyday drudgery. And it's, it's those moments that kind of keep me going, you know, and I, 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 live, I, live, for the, I live for the ridiculousness uh, yeah. in between all the ordinary stuff. You know, because there's loads of ordinary stuff uh, goes on yeah. in everyone's lives. That's it, isn't it? Yeah, you just got to make the most of the uh, of the other stuff. Yeah, especially when it comes along. Because it, I mean, I think it was safe to say, mate, that you've pretty much like dedicated your life to chasing those ridiculous moments. And and you know, was that like a conscious choice that you're like, do you know what, I'm gonna, uh, I'm not gonna do 
you know, the the thing, I'm going to do this thing and it's going to be a bit different and a bit weird. Did, was there a moment when you kind of thought like, oh yeah, fuck it, I'm, I'm going to do this thing? I've had I've had a, a few a few moments, and I, I don't think it was ever something conscious. But I, I came out of, came out of doing my A levels and went to work in Lakeside, and a full time work in Lakeside, it was pretty it was pretty grim. And where you know I, I had I had three C's at A level in French, Spanish, and art, which meant I was completely you know I what what the fuck are you going to do with those? You know, unless you kind of go on to go on to college. You know they're ultimately completely fucking useless in the real world. So I just went went to work in shops and quickly kind of you know you have these little despot bosses who you know are dimmer than you are, uh, but you know just it, it enforce their totalitarian regime on on everyone. You know and try and suck any life or creativity out of anyone there. You know, uh, and so I spent a couple of years kind of battling with them, and then I had a sort of um, a guy I used to DJ with, uh, DJ for at the youth club uh, with, that me and Stu used to go to when we were teenagers um, was working for the youth service, and he offered me a job um, two days a week making posters and uh, and stuff for the youth service. And so for me, it, it was a no brainer because I was earning in two days uh, just just short of what I was earning five days at Lakeside. Um, and so I sort of jumped ship and that meant that I had five days a week to kind of do songs and uh, and be creative and, you know, go out to silly hours and not have to worry about getting up in the morning. And then I started doing a bit of DJing and stuff to sort of supplement that. And then um, so that was a sort of moment when I realised that I didn't, you know, I, I would much work, much rather scrape by on, you know, a small amount of money and be doing stuff that's good for your soul. And, and I think, I mean, I'm quite lucky that, like, you know, my mum and dad were working class, but they weren't they weren't totally skint, you know, when, when I kind of got into my teenage years. They'd, my dad had sort of uh, had his own building business, you know, it was just him and him and a group of blokes. But they, they sort of done all right. And so I was we weren't really worried, you know, we weren't worried like where the next meal was coming from. And I think because of that and because I'd seen my dad strike out on his own, and be all right. I think I didn't have any fear about saying, "Well, I could, I, I could be my own boss, and I could do, you know, do what I want." And and that yeah. sort of gave me the confidence confidence to do that. But when um, I guess sort of in, you know, in, in my late twenties, I'd got lazy, and uh, I, I was still I was still working the same job, you know, doing two two days a week at the youth service and DJing, and I hadn't really done any of the fun silly things that we used to do when we you know when we were in our first bands and stuff and i read um i read the book the yes man by danny wallace and it's just about saying yes more and and where it will lead you if you because we the older we get we get into a mindset of i can't be fucking bothered because life's so hard and you know and and you work you work so hard and you have family commitments and and it takes up so much time that when that's all finished you just want to sit down with a glass of drink and stick on Netflix. But, um, you know, and I totally get that. Um, and and I, I, I still battle with that myself. But this book, The Yes Man, I'd recommend anyone that's kind of just looking to get a bit more of a positive outlook to, to read it because it completely, I'd say it changed my life in terms of it just gave me a kick up the arse to go, you've just got to say yes to more things because your, your world gets smaller and smaller and your circle of friends get smaller and smaller as you get older. Um, and so I just started saying yes to silly things again. 
and you know within yeah you know within a couple of years i was touring with cunt and the gang and it was just you know just kind of having a bit of an outlook change yeah is it like you say your world gets smaller and smaller and that keeps happening and you have to really make a conscious effort to to break out of that yeah very very much so it's kind of um I can't remember who said the the quote or where I picked it up, but this idea that like one of the worst places we can be as modern humans is in this place of like a low level discomfort, Mm. you know, because we can sit in that for ages and that's where you like look back at your life and go, fuck, I haven't done anything. Whereas if something awful happens, well, that can be a catalyst, you know, then, then we, at least then if, if the arse falls out your world, then quite often that kickstarts because you have to react. Right. But it's just sitting in that plot, that grind if you're not careful, you can, I mean, it works for some people and that's great, right? But if it doesn't work for you, it's like death by a thousand paper cuts, isn't it? It is, yeah, yeah. But, you know, it's it's really tough because the, the world is sort of set up, you know, so that you don't have to do, you don't have to do anything because, you know, you get back to your home, you got your phone. You know, and like literally the world has got smaller and smaller and smaller until it's until it's that big. And and every, everything is there, you know, and really you can just sit on your sofa and you can spend the evening looking looking at that. Um, and it's easy to do. And I've, I've done it myself. And, you know, occasionally I'll still do it. You kind of go down a rabbit hole and I'll realise I spent the whole evening just just, you know, following following links from people's social media or, you know, or on, on Wikipedia, just reading about horrific horrific things and the next horrific thing there's a link to and you're like fucking hell what a rotten what a rotten evening yeah no wonder i feel like shit right yeah (laughs) yeah but it it does it it does kind of it just makes you feel like you've eaten too much buffet or something you you know like you like your pores are clogged up with fat and you know it just yeah it's it's a rot it's a rotten feeling for me to you know know that i've spent that time doing that but i guess i guess balance balances everything you know yeah. um and and just try to balance that against doing doing stuff yeah i suppose once you say it start saying yes to more stuff then you know you it's weird isn't it like how you look at the world is how you look at the world and you need to change that to make some changes sometimes so if you start looking for things to see yes to you'll see loads of stuff that you didn't even know was there right and then you might yeah. end up doing something completely like you know bonkers on a wednesday and you meet someone there and that leads to to something else but you know like you say it's um where society is set up to kind of like drag us in and something that really came out from reading your book mate was like how hard you've grafted over the years to like maintain you know to be able to stay free i suppose um you know like mad gigs in mad places and you know lots of ups and downs and it sounds like it's been a real like you've put the hours in mate it's been a a slog at times by the sound of things yeah i mean i I always you know, like sort of having worked in shops, and I worked worked for my dad um, building for a while, and and worked uh, at Calagas, like lugging bottles around. So I know sort of what I do is not hard work, like actual hard work. You know that that, that people have to do on a day to day basis. You know, like lugging them fucking cold gas bottles around in the middle of winter when your hands are sticking to them, or you know, out out on building sites. It's not hard work like that, but I've put the hours you know I, I put the hours in and um because if if you don't no one's going to sort of do it for you and uh I think where I never made any kind of breakthrough you know in terms of getting a manager or an agent or or, or 
anything. It, it sort of makes you self-sufficient. And so you have to, you know, sort of in, in my position, you have to be everything. You have to be the the songwriter, the singer, the entertainer, the performer, the manager, the agent, the record company, the promotions company, you know, all, all those all those things. You have to wear all those hats because otherwise you'll make something and no one will hear it. But but you kind of it's something you just sort of learn on the job through necessity, really. Yeah. And, and um, you know, over the years, I've had lots of other acts kind of come up and say, oh, but you're really good at self-promotion, which, you know, you think, oh, I don't know if that's a compliment or whether you just <laughs> say stop, stop shouting about yourself. But <laughs> I think sometimes if you don't if you don't big your own stuff up, no one's no one's going to do it for you. And then no, no one will hear it. You know, and I hate banging on about my, my own stuff and I wish you know I wish I had a promotions company that would just handle that side of it so it wasn't my fucking face saying to people you've got to do this come on do this help help us out you know it's it's it's, it's horrible being the person that has to do that but ultimately you know I know it's just a it's a necessity of it I've I've become Bob Geldof you know that, yeah. <laughs> that bloke that's constantly asking people to do things yeah, it does like yeah, it's a tricky one, isn't it? Because like you say, if you don't do it, nothing's gonna gonna happen. All of the I do like a few different things and like the the thing I like most about all of them is doing them, but trying yeah. to get people to do them with is the like that's the bit I don't like the shouting about it. Every time I have to like type, you know, link in bio or something, I cringe. I don't want to be that man, but you know, like you say, it's a, a necessity. Yeah. Oh, yeah. Sorry, mate, yeah, go on. Yes, yeah, sorry, I, yes, I, I was gonna say is that thing of having to type link in bio and I mean for the first year of uh, I felt utterly fucking embarrassed and demeaned by using a hashtag because you know I'm not fucking I'm not a 14 year old girl like the idea you have to use hashtags like it is it's I mean it's ridiculous the words are there so why do you have to repeat it with a hashtag but but if you don't use the hashtags then it's harder for people to find so just suck it up and use the fucking hashtags, you know, like. Yeah, that's it. Yeah, it's just one of those. That's it. That people will say to me, oh, do you promote the podcast on TikTok? And it's like, I can't be doing TikTok, man. Like, do you know what I mean? I'm a, like, I'm a, I'm, a, I'm a dad. I'm like, I can't be messing around on there, you know, but no, yeah, I suppose no, that's. No, it's, yeah, it's, it's, it's true. Uh, I, I, I've sort of, I've had to go on TikTok and, you know, and it, when you say you're on TikTok, you know, as, as as a middle-aged bloke, people look at you like, right, check his hard drive. <laughs> yeah, they really do, yeah. And Craig, you talk about, like, losing half your life down a scroll hole. TikTok, man, was savage when I started putting stuff on there. I don't use it anymore because I'd go to upload. I'd be like, oh, I'll just upload my video and then I'll, like, turn it off. And the next thing I'm watching, like, a, I don't know, a freestyle rap competition or, you know, like, you're getting into all these things. And it's just, I felt like I was wasting my, wasting my life. That's a hard app to... um to navigate I, I think it, whenever i turned it on there just seemed to be an attractive lady sort of gently dancing uh and you've just got to get past that you've just got to scroll past that lady and do your thing because otherwise you know that's it yeah you just got to get to the point where as soon as someone logs on then they can see cunt from cunt and the gang like you know <laughs> gently dancing that's that's where you want to be that's how Gen you know gently it's be wanking and crying <laughs> yeah that's it so you know it's going to be a good a good christmas yeah how do you um how do you deal with i mean you're probably a lot better of it now but how do you deal with the 
I suppose the rejection side of it, right, of doing something that's not considered mainstream, you know, because you talk about management and stuff like that. And, you know, was that a route you considered in the early days, um, you know, to try and like, you know, get get on board? How do you yeah, how do you deal with the, the knockbacks and stuff? Because what you do isn't for everyone, right? No, no, it's, it's not. And it has sort of taken a while to, to realise that. But um, when when I when I started, um, started, you know, doing Cunt the Gang as, as it is in 2003, um, you still sort of had the NME was still going and, um, you know, and and I think XFM was still sort of independent and, and alternative. And so um, when I did that first album, I, I put about 30 copies out to press and, uh, and radio and got some, you know, got a couple of bits of press in the NME. So I thought, all right, this is good because, you know, I think you always think about the traditional ways that you, you build, that, that you would build up something you know because I, we were all into indie bands and we'll go to indie clubs and see indie bands you look at how they've built their career up and you try and do the sort of same thing but it quickly became apparent that because of, I suppose because of the nature of the stuff that I wasn't really going to get any coverage anywhere and um it was sort of around the time of social media just kind of starting off you know sort of my the, the like the very early days of myspace and then the very very early days of youtube um, so I think I just kind of went down that route of sort of going direct, so the sort of direct to consumer thing. But you, you didn't think about any of this at the time and it wasn't a, a preconceived plan. It was just, oh, right, there, there's a way that people can find people can hear your stuff. And because of the nature of the stuff and because there isn't lots of stuff around, you know, that talks about the, the same kind of things I was singing about in, in my songs. Um it sort of found an audience quite organically to start off with. Um, but trying to break out of, um, you, you know, a sort of very alternative thing into anything mainstream is, it's just a largely fruitless, fruitless task. And you sort of, you know, there's, there's been lots of times where I've, I've felt like I'm sort of, you know, pissing into the wind and what's the, what's the point in this. And especially like in, in the last few years where we kind of done the chart, um, the chart campaigns with the Boris Johnson songs um, and then the, the fuck the Tories campaign last year. I feel like all of those things were something, you know, the, the first Boris Johnson pr song proved that there was an audience of people outside of even my usual audience of people that would be up for, backing something that was anti-establishment um and then uh that first year we got quite a lot of press you know in the sort of print media in the daily mail and uh, and the express and the uh, and the mirror wrote wrote about it um and you know and some some of the broadsheets as well but then i think they sort of work out well if this is a thing on the internet if we don't write about it then people won't find out about it and it won't be as much of a thing. And definitely like the subsequent years, um, there's been no mention of uh, that. The fuck the Tories song was almost like, it, it was like it was sort of shadow banned. And I know there's not some bloke who's controls all the media who goes that you mustn't mention that, but I think there is largely a consensus uh, across the media about what's, what's an acceptable way to protest you know, which is one that they that they allow you to do that doesn't cause any fuss, you know, and keeps you away from the cenotaph, and you know all, all those things that they do. So uh, the, the the day of the coronation, when we went up to kind of join in the protest there, 
that there was big barriers that kept all the people that marched into protest away from the the coronation route. And I think that's a kind of um, a metaphor for all protests, you know, is you can protest as long as you don't cause too much trouble in that place in front of those people. You know, you have the right to protest over there, away, you know. Um, and, and I think this is this is why, you know, the broad consensus of the mainstream media won't cover something like fuck the Tories because it sort of undermines the core of the system that keeps everything going and it keeps the government going and it keeps the royals going and it keeps the media going and they all and the church and they all work to just keep the old fashioned system going that we all pay into where the money goes to the people that need it least um, and everyone else struggles. And, you know, I'm not a conspiracy theorist, but um, I think that's largely what what's behind it, you know, yeah. But yeah. but there's not one bloke at, at the top pulling all the all the puppet strings or or a shadowy cabal of people. I think it's just the posh rich people are in all the positions of power, and so they want to keep that system going because it's all working out very nicely for them. Yeah, that's always the way, isn't it? It's the the, the people who the system works for are the ones who want to keep that system in yeah. place. And you know, the, I always think that like the media controls are our reality right because that's how we know what's going on in the world and we you know we are just fed fed certain things and that means we look at the world in a certain way and i do think it suits these like you say like the rich people it suits them for everyone to be a little bit scared because like when we are scared we you know we don't people don't take chances people don't take risks people don't say oh i'm just going to start and have this career doing something creative and unusual and yeah you know and they're they're kind of the ways that um I don't want to say like we take the power back, but you know, I'm a firm believer in community. I think community is so important. And I think when we're not being looked after by the people who are supposed to look after us, then we have to look after ourselves. Don't we? I think that's completely, completely true. Community and creativity are ways to beat, to beat the system. Yeah. That's it. Did you, um, did you have to develop, um, like a thick skin along the, the way, you know, with regards to that, that system, because like, I don't know, like, I always think that there's like a price to be paid for living a, a life that's outside of the norm, you know? So for me, I couldn't, I can't nine to five it. I did that for a while and it was like, it was like nearly, nearly the end of me. I'm much more suited to being more creative and doing more things that I enjoy and stuff like that. But that does mean that, you know, I, you know, I don't know, I put things out and people don't always like what I do or I don't always get paid for it. And so sometimes the money's a worry and you almost have to like choose, don't you? It's like how much, like... I don't know how much shit can I eat to be able to provide for myself and my family, but without losing the plot and starting to get unwell. It's a fine line, isn't it? I, I, I guess it's it's all about balance, and you know, and and, and finding that balance because you know I've, I've had sort of times in, in you know I, I suppose over the last five years when um, you know there hasn't been enough money coming in to support what I do. I mean, I, I'm very very fortunate and, and blessed now that. Um, since the pandemic, I set up a Patreon. And so I've got, you know, a hundred and something Patreons who all just pay a little bit to kind of support what I do. And it's just taken like a level of stress and worry off of, I've got to pay the bills. And I think it's made me less commercial minded about what I do, but more, you know, more creative in that I can just have a kind of an ideas vomit and pick a crazy idea and, and go and do it and not have to worry about whether it's going to land or make loads of money um because you know that that basic 
you know, that I've got that sort of basic income that's going to mean that I'm sort of supported in, in what I do, you know, and it, it's not fortunate. And I still have to, I still obviously have to do, have to do stuff, but it's just taken like a level of worry off just surviving week to week, you know? Yeah. It's hard to be creative when you're skin, isn't it? Like when you have those patches, like it, it, that, that anxiety about money, like saps any sort of, you can't just think outside the box. If you're worried about your bank balance, it's a really tough space, isn't it? it it's one of the, it's one of the, causes i think of uh, of like stress and stress and worry um because it's just very hard to see a way out of it you know and 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 the i guess the thing is about not having enough money coming in is it just it it only gets worse because it's hard to exist on on nothing and and i think also you know if, if you've got a family there's there's a lot of pressures and especially you know I think it's especially in Essex, and I'm sure lots of people will say it's the same everywhere else, but there seems to be a culture in Essex, you know, and it's not even what you have, it's what you can let other people think that you've got, you know, and uh, and sort of um it, it sort of becomes all about show and uh, and com- and competitiveness. But um it must be really tough, you know, if you've got kind of kids in kids in school and and you're you're really fucking skint and other people are turning up in designer gear and you know and uh, and big four by fours but it is all it's all show and it's all it's all for show and there's lots more important things in life than all of that shit but it's it's tough because you don't want to be you know you don't want to be the person whose kids are um you know not you know, yeah. different, different to different to everyone else. So it is. It's a. I, I guess it's a tough thing. Yeah, I, I suppose I always like to um, to chat about it really with people who are who are uh, like from a working class background and people who are on the the outside of the the creative space because it does feel like you have a like a choice to make almost. And so much in the wellness industry is people re- recommending all this stuff that like that costs money. So you see all these posts that go off, oh, you're strong with your mental health, come and do my course. It's 200 quid. And you're yeah. like, I'm struggling with my mental health because I ain't fucking got 200 quid, you know? And I think like, you know, we ain't going to solve any problems or come up with any solutions, but I do think it's really important. Like, I don't know, just for people to hear other people say, yeah, I'm fucking skin too. It's shit, isn't it? <laughs> yeah. But I mean, I, I think that's part, that's part of the problem that you've just said. The fact that the word wellness is followed by industry. Because, you know, wellness is just such a basic human need. You know, the idea that there's an industry around it. But, it, it's, but you know, it's just like everything, isn't it? Everything gets made into a business. Conspiracy, conspiracy theories are a, are a business now. And there's people that are making fucking millions of pounds off just, you know, peddling conspiracy theories. And, you know, and, and peddling, peddling wellness. Uh, yeah, it's the same shit, isn't it? Just like re- just, recycled, I suppose. Oh, no worries, got you back. Yeah, so um, you mentioned the the Boris Johnson um, single there. That wasn't your first run at the charts, mate. When did you first have a go at, at being a charting artist? When was that? Um, that was 2010. So uh, it was in uh, the year after um, Rage Against the Machine campaign. Um, I just saw what they'd done with that. Uh, they they kind of went up against the X Factor and and got the Christmas number one. And um, I saw what they'd done with that. Um, and at the time, I had kind of quite a small but quite loyal fan base. And so I, I thought, well, do you know what? I'm just going to release the most offensive song possible and see if we can get it in the top 40. 
And um, so uh, I, I made uh, made a few different versions of, of the song Use My Arse I Was a Cunt, which is, you know, a, a song all about trying to kind of uh, get into the music industry. But, uh, you know, and, the, and the, the compromises you have to make to be able to kind of get up the ladder. Um, uh, I made a few different versions of it and we tried, you know, I, I, I tried to kind of cajole people into uh, downloading it and uh, to see you know if if it'll work and uh, and as it turns out I, I think it sold about two and a half thousand but it got to number 66 in the charts uh and for a for a moment when it got to that number 66 in the charts the the internet went mad with it just for a split second um and the charts company had listed it uh, number 66 use my ass i was a cunt cunt and the gang disco minge that was the name of the record label um and um, people were all sharing the link, and Chris Moyles mentioned it on the Radio One Breakfast Show. Uh, and uh, yeah, oh, have you have you seen what's number sixty six in the charts? And within an hour, the charts company had asterisked it all out. And really? I think I think without that kind of impact that that you know that that you saw, because it was shocking to see it there. You know, I I was shocked and amazed and impressed. Yeah. <laughs> um, uh, but without that kind of impact, there wasn't anything to kind of you know snowball it from there um and it, and it's hard to kind of maintain the momentum after that week you put so much energy and impetus into it to kind of carry it on you know and then you kind of quickly realize that, that oh that's that's it that that was it um yeah. i suppose it's the um in a way like people really get behind the like the almost the shock value of of it right and then but it's same with anything like if you try to do it loads of times then eventually like song titles don't become they don't stand out anymore no one's going like oh that's a rude song or anything like that because they're just used to it yeah. so it's like it doesn't it doesn't have the the impact but then of course the you, it's much easier to get impact when you do a song about boris johnson and like he's like ripping the country to shreds and everyone uh everyone hates him but i suppose like kind of before we get into that did you have much interest in in politics like in as a young man growing up because i always like i always think it's such a funny space because yes of course it's really important to you know to vote and particularly like at the moment right but at the same time like where i live i live in a very working class area i know loads of people who don't vote because they don't give a fuck they don't yeah. give a fuck they say no one cares about us we don't give a shit i don't i, I know people who couldn't name who the like the prime minister is and stuff like that and they just don't care and i don't blame them either i've been like that over the years but what did you like I don't know. Do you relate to that? Did you give a shit like before? No, you started? no, no, that that was me completely of, you know, well, they're all as bad as each other. But I don't think I really understood that, you know. I mean, for me now, there's a fundamental problem with the with a system where there are only two things that, that you can vote for. And, and that is all you're ever told is you have to vote for that over there or that over there. And. That's how the system keeps going, because there's only ever going to be half of the people or just over half that are happy and everyone else will, will won't won't be. Um, but, yeah, so so I, I think kind of growing up, I would just look, look at the politicians and think, well, I don't like you and I don't really like you. I mean, you're a bit better than him, but why should I vote for the least biggest cunt? Like, you know, and, and that's what it that's what two-party politics is you've got to decide who's the least biggest cunt who's who's the least corrupt you know or or or, or least um duplicitous uh and and go and go for that one um you know and obviously there's a completely different ethos 
I think between the you know the the way the Conservatives have especially been over the last few years, you know, and uh, and what lab what Labour are, uh, are trying to bring in, there does seem to be a difference. But I don't think I don't think it's the answer because you know, like like with Tony Blair, once you kind of get into power, um, you have to just keep the system going because otherwise you're you know, your turkey's voting for Christmas. So I don't think Keir Starmer is going to get in and then bring in proportional representation. Uh, I think he'll get in. He'll be prime minister. You know, and it's a, obviously that's the peak of anyone's career in politics, being prime minister. So why would you then risk you losing power once you're kind of in there? And they're the only people that can change it unless we march on parliament with pitchforks, which, you know, I just... It, I sort of find nowadays, you know, especially with social media, it's made people really lazy. And even when they're dissatisfied, they go, well, someone should do something about that. Yeah. And, you know, we're, we're all, we're all someone, you know, yeah, that's so true. I think about that all the time. But like in the summer, like watching Glastonbury and you'd have like act on stage and they'd get like 80,000 people chanting, fuck the Tories. And then all those 80,000 people go back and carry on getting pissed over the weekend and half of them might not vote. And you feel yeah. like saying it doesn't mean anything. Like throwing angry tweets into the void and like being offended about stuff doesn't change anything. It means absolutely nothing. And I like I've got an independent business and I like I always think of it from like um like an independent point of view, you know, I like you'll see queues coming out of Starbucks like round the corner and then like half a mile down the road is like a little indie calf. And you kind of think like, oh just walk a bit further and give that geezer your money because Mr. Starbucks has got enough. But as that's just, I don't know, I think just modern humans. We're just a bit crap like that, aren't we? We're just too, uh, I don't know, we just want it too easy, I think. Oh, my, uh, a mate of mine, Gels, uh, wrote a, a poem uh, that was called Convenience and Greed. And, you know, we're just we're just lazy cunts. You know, we're, we're lazy cunts and we, you know, and I'm no better than anyone else, you know, I sort of hear about a book on book on a podcast. You put it into Google, and it comes up on Amazon. And you know, and oh, there's a used copy for one pound twenty four. And you just, you know, it's just they've just made everything so fucking easy that that side of us, you know, that is going to put a little bit more effort into something. It just, you know, it it just plays right. It, we we play right into their hands, and they've given us. You know, what we ultimately want is to just be sat around in our fucking pants with toast crumbs all down the front of us, just ordering stuff, you know, yeah. without having to we're having to even get up or put a pair of trousers on. It's, yeah, moaning you know, about the state of the world while we do yeah. it. Yeah, yeah, very much so. But I suppose that probably like fueled the success of that, the, you know, the recent Christmas campaigns of, you know, people getting to a point where it's like, hang on a minute you know, maybe people are getting a bit more interested in politics and people are kind of looking around and going like, oh, this it's always been shit, but now it seems extra shit. And then, you know, a song like Boris Johnson is a, is a cunt comes out and like, people seem to really connect with it in that way, didn't they? Yeah. Uh, I mean, I, I, I want to go back to something you said where, uh, like you sort of mentioned that everyone thought Boris Johnson was a fucking cunt, but not not everyone did. And uh, and the, the, the second, the, you know, the second year of doing it, I had some people... Who, because because I did the Boris Johnson is a fucking cunt in 2020, and then in 2021 come back with Boris Johnson is still a fucking cunt because he is was and is. But um, 
the, the second year, I had people that said, I thought he was all right last year, but now I can see, you know, I can see what you meant. Um, but the, the, the thing that brought that song around, song about and that whole kind of, you know, that, that particular chart campaign was just the fact that we've had some bad duplicitous uh, politicians, you know, especially in the last few years. But I think Boris Johnson and his little cabal that, that ran things were the most overtly corrupt um, that I can you know, that I can remember, they they just didn't even bother hiding it. And I'm sure lots of stuff will come out about the in the COVID inquiry about um, the PPE contracts. Uh, but, you know, that he, he had ministers like one, uh, Robert Jemrick, um, uh, took took a bung to to get some, uh, to, to push through uh, a housing contract for a big housing firm. And, and it's sort of reported in the news one day and the next day it's gone. And you're like, what? Why isn't there... Why isn't there any consequences for this? But they they know how to play the game, and you know, and and Boris, in particular, you know, was uh, at the point where he was changing the rules so that he wouldn't be accountable. And and once you actually, you know, once you've opened the floodgates for that, I think you know that's why we've got um, you know Rishi Sunak and Suella Bravman. Brav, you know, she's gone now, but that's why they can get away with talking about the things they are and doing the things they do because Boris has opened that floodgates of the rules don't actually fucking mean anything. We can just change them because we're in charge. Um, You know, and in a lot of ways, I think you've got to admire Boris Johnson for being so openly corrupt whilst with a big smile on his face and and uh, and all the all, all the people that read the Daily Mail, because you know every day the front page of the Daily Mail tells you what you should be thinking. It's not reporting the news; it tells you what you should be thinking about things. Um, they all go, "Oh, that's Boris. He's he's all right. He's he's a one." <laughs> and you're like, "Well, no, he's he's not a one. He's just a big, fat, posh cunt who's loaded. All his fucking mates are loaded. He's got no consequences for his actions. He just goes around." Nobbing everyone and, and producing all these horrible fucking village of the damned offspring, you know, that, that in 20 years, they're probably going to be running the fucking country as well. Yeah, that's it. There's a there's a book about that. I can't remember the name of it. And it talks about like these men in power and how they kind of like they're almost bred for it, because when they turn seven, they're like their rich parents chuck them into boarding schools. So they they don't have like traditional upbringings. And then at boarding school, it's just so cutthroat. And just to survive and not be bottom of the pile, they have to start fucking people over. And it's almost like they're just just groomed to you know finish like finish up at Eton and then like step into the houses of parliament and like it's a uh, yeah like you say we've all become desensitized to it so they do these horrible things and like yeah it's just on to the next because all it takes is from some other celebrity to like say something they shouldn't or a footballer to get drunk and we kind of forget that like you know the country's burning and it's all like oh let's just tweet about the celebrity gossip for a bit instead and on to the next it's uh yeah, but, but, I, but I think that's ultimately what what we've been bred, what what we've been bred and encouraged to do. I, I was, um, uh, I mean, I, I've noticed it this year in that um, we we quickly knocked us together a song about the Philip Schofield scandal, um, and it was my most viewed video ever in uh, was it in in forty eight hours? It had done like two million views, wow. which which is more, you know 
more than any video I've ever done over 10, you know, over 10 years. Um, and But because it was the Philip Schofield thing, you know, it was just, oh, it's Philip Schofield. We all know him off the telly, you know, and yeah, it just it just went crazy. But I think that's people are much more interested in celebrities than they are in politics because it's a distraction technique that, you know, we all just we all get involved in that. And then that means all that can go on over there. We get fucked over. We're all worse off. But that's all right. Because look, look at the celebrities. Look, he's eating a kangaroo's cock. It's <laughs> it's so true, isn't it? Yeah, it's like a like a magician. What do they call it? Magician where they get you looking at one thing and then do something else. It's, it's uh... smoke and mirrors, isn't it? It's, it mm. that's, that's completely what it is, yeah. Yeah. So you've got something a little bit different happening. What's happening with the campaign this year, mate? Because you're about to launch the next um, Assault on the Charts, but it's a different vibe this year, right? Well, that's not me, though, Tom, is it? That's, right, uh, yeah. You know, because obviously what I would have liked to have done this year was to write a nice feel-good Christmas song that makes everyone feel good about Christmas and harking back, you know, to to uh, the times of our youth, you know, the Christmases in the late 70s and 80s. But um, I didn't really have that in my canon because I'm just a bloke that writes sweary words about politicians. But coincidentally, I came across this song by a band, The Crackpots, with a K, uh, called Proper Christmas. And it's a song just like that, a love letter to the sort of Christmases of the past, channeling a bit of Madness and Chaz and Dave and Slade. Uh, and it's a really catchy little song, a lovely heartwarming video um, with with these uh, puppets in. And it's the kind of thing, because I know from doing my past campaigns, people have had trouble um, sharing it on their socials because of, you know, uh, there might be family members who disapproved or or they wouldn't want to get a disciplinary at work. Um, but this is the kind of thing that all those people over the years that haven't been able to share my things on their socials, they can share this crackpots video on their socials. And I think it would just spread a little bit of joy uh, yeah. over over Christmas. Bit of old school Christmas cheer, right? Yeah. How, exactly. What can, exactly. Yeah. what can you tell us about the crackpots, mate? How did they come onto your radar? Um, oh, I think they must have just popped up on my feed or something. You know, they're, they're a mystery band. No one knows who's behind it. You know, like, like uh, Banksy or Kendo Nagasaki. Yeah, yeah, it's, yeah. It's, it's a mystery who's behind it. But, you know, I think these guys have really got what it takes. And, you know, it's what the country needs at Christmas. After five bleak years of sausage roll based Christmas number ones, you know, it's time for a proper Christmas again. Yeah, that's it. That's uh, Christmas is like, you know, there's so much nostalgia over the old songs. But, yeah, someone's got to provide the, the new old songs. Right. So in 20 years time, people can look back at, at at this year's Christmas songs and get that nostalgia from it. So yeah, the old fashioned ones are important. Well, I hope so. This this one kind of channels all, you know, you know, like your slades and your wizards. It's it's like that. Lots of little lovely suburban vignettes about Christmases of past. Right, yeah. When's it out, mate? Um, I believe, according to the website properchristmas.info, uh, where you can find all the information about it, it's out on the eighth of December. Right. And what's the what like I'm really interested in, in the mechanics of getting a song into the charts, particularly at Christmas, because it is um I'm I don't know it is not rigged necessarily, but there's you know we all know what's going to get pumping out of people's iPods over the uh, over the iPods. How old am I? People's phones over the yeah. um <laughs> over the next few weeks, right? So how's the how's the best way that people can kind of help the crackpots and um, support this cause? Um, the best way you can support it is by downloading it, and I know no one downloads anything anymore but this is a way um, that an independent song can level the playing field against all the major label 
Christmas songs, you know, that kind of come out every year. And because you've got like the Spotify playlists of Christmas stuff, they all get millions and millions of plays that, you know, count as sales. Um, and the way that, the, the way that we always counteract this is by making it available to download and putting all the links on the website, which I, I presume the crackpots are going to be doing at properchristmas.info. So downloading it counts for 100 streams. Um, and, and what we've done in previous years is we make various versions of the same song. So each version counts as a separate sale. So, for example, if you went and downloaded the song and two remixes, that would count as three sales. Um, and we, we make up a band camp usually. Uh, and have multiple versions on it, um, you know, like 20 versions. So uh, I make them available really cheaply so people can buy like 20 versions for, for like, um, you know, eight, eight quid or something. Yeah. But, um, and, and, we, uh, and on the main platforms, Amazon and iTunes, we make it available as cheaply as possible, uh, 59p, which is the lowest you can kind of charge for a, for a download. Because obviously yeah. it's not about the money, it's about the doing something rather than doing nothing, you know. Yeah, disrupting again, isn't it? You know, I do think that's so in so important. A lot of the things we've talked about today, you know, about the the, the state of the place, and uh, you know, and just I don't know, just shaking up, shaking things up a little bit, and uh, going against the grain is um, it's really empowering. You know, it goes to show, doesn't it, Crikey? If you can get some of those Boris songs in the charts at Christmas, it just goes to show that you know we don't just have to kind of like put up and shut up, right? No, I I think. You know, and this is what I sort of took from the Sex Pistols because obviously, like, I was a little bit too young to remember them when they came out. But I, I found out about the Sex Pistols sort of, you know, uh, probably in my, you know, um, early to early teens, you know, between sort of 10 and 13. And what they, you know, what they did is still kind of having repercussions and ramifications now. But there hasn't been anything like the Sex Pistols, you know, that um, that goes, this is fucking shit, you know, and just tells it exactly exactly as it is, you know, uh, that, that has kind of broken through to such a massive extent in, in the way that they did. And I think that's what, you know, the, the first Boris Johnson song, we didn't think about it and there wasn't a big plan behind it at all. It, it just kind of happened organically. But, but since then, I've definitely think it'd be nice to just, do something that someone else sees in the future and thinks, do you know what? I'm not going to put up with this. And, uh, you know, I'm not going to put up with this. I can do something about it. And that doesn't just mean doing a protest song about the government, just in any area of your life. You know, this isn't fair. This is unjust. I'm going to do something about it because we can all do something about everything. And it's tough sometimes, but by talking about it, you know, you realise other people are dissatisfied as well, and you know, yeah. you, you can, you can, you know, you, you you can find kindred spirits and uh, and club together and make a difference. Yeah, I think that's the the real beauty as well of like kind of doing it through music, you know, because so much of. Uh, music can like bring people together, particularly if you like alternative music and indie music. And you, you know, there is a, you do feel a bit of an outlier sometimes. And it is like what different relationships we have throughout our lives and how we make friends and meet people and do all the stuff. Like music's good for that, right? Finding like finding your tribe, I suppose. Yeah, it, it, that, that's definitely it. I think, you know, my, my group of mates that we sort of came, we came together in our sort of late teens and we're all sort of still largely in touch now. But it is mu music, you know, just sort of being in alternative music of some some sort sort yeah. of did, did bring us all together and really like that's the thing that's kind of kept us together although we don't we don't all listen to exactly the same stuff but i think 
listening to alternative music, you kind of don't know. It, it's just a slightly different mentality, you know, of, well, I like something different and I want something different. Um, yeah. Yeah, I like that a lot. Yeah, yeah, very much so. I suppose I just like to suppose to take us home. I thought I'd uh, I'd drop a question in your lap here, mate, because obviously, um, yeah, we've got mutual friend in um in Mister Whiffin, yeah. and um, I, he was on. He came on the show a couple of weeks ago, and we did well, like one of his top fives. He fucking love a top five, doesn't he? Yeah, he and, does. Uh, yeah, yeah, and uh, we did like top five songs that are good for mental health. And I thought I'd like a nice way to finish today was just to ask you if you had a couple of songs um that. I don't know, songs that kind of like help you through the tough times or make you feel good or songs that you lean on. Like if there's anything that kind of, uh, yeah, we'll just tag tag it, tag it onto the end of that. But anything that sort of, yeah, helps you out when uh, when things are a bit shit. Um, do you know what? There's there's a song by, um, you have just dropped this in my lap. So this is off the, off the top of my head. But um, there's a song by the uh, Eels that's called Hey Man, Now You're Really Living, which I think is just, I mean, yeah, it's it's just fucking brilliant. Yeah. Oh, mate. It, yeah, just, no, just thinking about it, kind yeah, of. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Oh, mate, that's yeah. sick, yeah. I um, I don't know. I've not heard of the Eels for ages. Are they still going, the Eels? Or... Um, I, I mean, that's as recent as I get. Uh, yeah. It was, it was uh, they had that album out about, I guess it must be like 20 years ago, but that was the lead single of it. And, and I don't think it did anything. But, um, yeah, it's a song that just, it's really inspiring and move, moves you. Oh, there you go. I'm gonna go give that a listen. A listen to now. Yeah, it's a cracker. Mate, yeah, I'll make sure all the links to um to the crackpots and and the new campaign is all in the episode notes and all that sort of stuff. Um, mate, it's been lovely to chat to you today. Thank you so much for your time. It's been wicked. No, my absolute pleasure, mate. Thank you. Cheers. Mate. Nice one. Cheers, Tom. Just do a fake podcast. A big up to the proper mental podcast. The proper mental podcast. <laughs>